a record of the delightful piece they're going to play this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everybody, welcome back to Requiem Radio. I am your host, and with me is my also co-host, Hazy Dialect. So we have today our special guest, Ernest. Hey Ernest, want to introduce yourself and everything? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Ernest Allman. Most Ernest, the most tall man that you have ever seen online. Um, I will not be taking any questions. Oh, yep. And that'll be the end of our video. Thank you, everyone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you on, man. It's good to be, for you to be here. It's good to talk to you again. Oh, yeah. Hazy oh. Dialects, uh, the individual who is the uh, <laughs> hosting this podcast, along with the amazing, the uh, impervious, the uh, um, unwavering solace here, uh, that will Please, be man. introduced before usually it's introduced before the uh uh you know the guests of the podcast but you know we we move anyway you know yeah we're bouncing around yeah it is at the time of recording near 11 30 but hey you know what they say um what do they say it's like show don't stop till fat lady sings something like that i don't know <laughs> you must be tired that's entirely <laughs> i'm missing up saying i'm like oh the show must go on there you go yeah like we gotta figure things out it's all good, you know, it happens, it happens, but yeah, honestly, um, we were talking a bit earlier offline about some stuff that I thought was pretty cool we could bring up, but mainly just, you know, for now, just get into the topic of, like, you know, the whole debate bro culture and, like, history of that stuff and, like, where we went from here and just hear you guys' thoughts and paying things off, you know? So debating, I think it's a very valuable tool in terms of understanding who we are and what we can learn from each other. It is the quintessential underpinnings of why we believe a thing and the importance of believing a certain thing. And more importantly, having a wholesale idea or principle about an idea means nothing if you don't have any valid or at least consistent reasons as to why other people should uphold this certain beliefs. So, naturally speaking, debate can often help you, like, refine those beliefs and refine those underpinnings, thus making it more salient when you present those ideas to other people and be persuasive as to why they should believe it equally as you do passionately. Unfortunately, in terms of debate culture, not just online per se, but I believe that often argumentum becomes a part of someone's pride and pride is often tied back to one's intellect no one wants to be the person who is incapable of having a conversation or be um someone lacking in their ability to critically think about the pitfalls of some of the ideas they hold unwavering so mostly these debates devolve into screaming matches um, uncharitable reinterpretations of other people's beliefs and ideas and the discourse becomes a one-up on the other individual through seeking to misinform people about what can sometimes be a pretty interesting idea to even explore such as the personhood of what it means to have consciousness or what would occur if you were to lose your consciousness and you become somebody with an entirely different memory are 
are you still you at the end of the day? That could be an interesting question. But unfortunately, sometimes these conversations devolve into simply whether or not abortion is right or wrong when there's an interesting avenue to even explore in the idea of consciousness. When it comes to the big culture, I think that for the most part, we don't do enough to truly seek out these ideas because we are so tethered to our ego. And the question I would offer to both of you is what sort of unraveling would have to occur to make it less egocentric? Mm. What about you, Ernest? Seven mic issues right now. question i have to ponder for a little bit um <laughs> i believe without expecting off the jump he just uh issue with the academics um let's say like you have to identify like um what the real problem is before we can actually discover what like if any solutions exist to it so I'd probably start there. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe just to kick it off, you know, get the ball rolling. I'm assuming you have thoughts on this, Hazy. So, you know, where where would you go with it? Typically, I think one of the biggest problems um, an arriving egoism is trying to find a way in which we can inspire one another to be less embarrassed about changing one's mind. I think the the humility can be unraveled when people are the ego and the ego can can definitely dissipate when people feel as less as though there's a humility this humiliation that comes from simply changing one's mind. Um, more often than not, from moving to the left to right, people often make parody accounts as to what changed their mind. Grifters are often a descriptive thrown around with leisure as to uh, prescribing monetary gain um, to most people who decide to change their minds. When we never ask ourselves earnestly, was there an idea, fundamentally speaking, that drastically changed the worldview? For example, philosophy is something that is similar in that regard, in which there is an implicit worldview, or at least an implicit buy-in that is necessary to substantiate almost everything that exists within that worldview. Um, Foucault's like The Power of Sex is a very interesting book that I read as of recently that really spoke about the biological necessity that we all like have within ourselves and how um, the obfuscation of that um, ability to procreate and to have sex can often um, lead us to have a lack of understanding and an animosity amongst ourselves in terms of culture and the ability to speak about this unfeathered in more of a um, cogent manner leads to a more healed society. But the implicit buy-in is the idea that society understands sex in this manner. Bringing it back to the conversation that I was 
bring it back to the conversation earlier, what I'm just trying to get across here is that people don't understand that these implicit buy-ins exist in most belief systems, whether you're conservative, libertarian, what have you. And sometimes that unraveling of that implicit buy-in is something that people don't examine. Rather, they mostly look at it as a um, cultural buy-in or like a group buy-in because people um, don't want to be the outsider looking in for the most part. You get admiration, you get acceptance from a lot of people for taking up beliefs that might be extreme to some degree, but it strongly reinforces the larger group out, outside looking in. Like You could say, hey, this is extreme position, but it's more solidifying uh, conservative beliefs or democratic beliefs, what have you. But again, I think the one thing that really people need to do is kind of detach it from um, the unwillingness to realize that people can change their mind and also proposing better reasons for people to understand that, hey, people do change their minds in earnest. That's one factor of all this. And the second one is um, reframing from making it humiliating for someone to change their mind. Because often enough, people will take up more, more absurd positions because the in-group will validate them, while the out-group will probably see the flaws in their reasoning, but there's no there's no benefit for that individual in question to ever change their mind, because to do so to the out-group means that they will get flogged, like publicly speaking. So those are like the two things I think that can help, like at least amend or like quell egotism in terms of like political debate or debates in any confine, what have you. At least, and that's what how I perceive it as. Um, so, Liz, do you have anything in terms of how we would, um, you know, men ego, men egoism in terms of like political debate and people changing their minds? Yeah, I feel like definitely that a lot of times, especially debate culture, the art form and practice of debate is seen as like you know, almost arbiter to someone's intelligence on a given topic. So. And that could also be a downfall a lot of times because you have people who are wired thinking, you know, like the debate me bros, like, oh, if you can't debate me in this topic, that means you don't know what you're talking about or, you know, therefore I'm, I know more new or your position is just inherently wrong. But there's just some people that aren't doing debates like I'm not you could like there could be people who argue you know, argue like, yeah, you know, veganism or moral veganism has zero contradictions. It's the most bulletproof debate logic. But you go down to like a farmer's market or something like an area where people are like, you know, hey, I'm just a rural farmer. This is what I've been doing for a living for decades. And you try to tell him like, hey, man, debate me on like, you know, farming ethics or like that. He's going to look at you weird like I don't want to. And it's like it's not that the guy's wrong. It's just that like, you know, this is way his life. You're not changing his mind on his given topic like over this. It's like some people it clicks differently. And I feel like through like policy settings is very good and a lot of it though i feel is more in tune for a given subject of like let's say hey this is a group of people's specialty people in that in group are listening into this so they're educated enough to understand what's going on like example if there's like a debate between you know i've let's say morality between nuclear physicists on like can we develop like a bigger bomb or not and stuff like that that could be more leaning into like to like you know scientific lens if that makes any sense where that'd be more engaging for them i'm not saying people who aren't in these fields can't engage in it i'm just saying like hey some things just are better for some people it's kind of like 
learning or education. Some people learn differently than others, but definitely stopping this weird stigma going on of like people in debate spirit thinking like, hey, I need to like function this way to get my point across. Because a lot of people don't operate that. Because, like you said, people, you know, don't like feeling like they're, like, an idiot or wrong. And if they're not used to the whole debate format, it's going to make them feel like they're dumb or, like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. It makes them feel, like, uncomfortable, basically. And, like, you're not going to change your mind if you're just doing that. Like, you're, like, trying to, you know, get, like, dunking points on someone. But, yeah, that's my opinion on that. What is this, like through line here regarding like I don't know uh, attempting how to discard you know any sort of personal ego that would be involved in I guess like admitting you are wrong or trying to you know see things from a different perspective or whatever is that it's it's not like it's not like this is some new recent phenomenon right like you can and you can check the record and you can see, you know, just going back centuries, um, you know, philosophers, you know, all kinds of academics having these sorts of debates and <clears throat> whether or not they're actually in earnest, like self-criticism of their own perspectives, uh, I would say is, is very much consistent, like throughout history. Um, whether that means anything for like a contemporary analysis, I'm not really sure. Uh, whether that speaks to, I don't know, just like the nature of uh, the human mind, like digging in and just not wanting to admit when you're wrong for whatever reason. You know, any of the ones that you guys are mentioning, uh, you don't want to, don't want to look weak. You don't want to be perceived as being stupid, etc. I think those all play in, but there could be something else at play as well. Like, I think it's a Mark Twain quote. Uh, it's like, it's easier to fool a man than to convince him he's been fooled. Um, I think that like very much goes to like, this point about like trying to convince someone and you know like tell them like, hey, no, you're wrong. Look at it from a different perspective. That's um, not to sound like you know flip about it but like the sort of like do your own research way of uh you know getting two things i think actually lends maybe a higher success rate uh than just like trying to convince someone that they're incorrect like leading them to you know the promised land and making them think that they got there all by their own other than just trying to direct them straight to it and beat them over the head with an ideological hammer I do believe to some degree that does actually work a lot. Simply telling somebody that they're wrong and maybe having a discourse back and forth about that idea can definitely be beneficial. But what I found that definitely does help significantly is typically the idea that uh, usually attempting to maximize what somebody genuinely believes to be the fundamental belief system. Because there are some fundamental beliefs that I believe that I disagree with to some degree but if i think that we can find some overlap in the way it can be maximized i usually lean on that the most like okay sure at the same time you might say that you don't believe in the rights of some women to like vote or have the ability to be in the working market 
to some degree, I would argue back that even if it's not immediately feasible, I would also say to them, I think that you're hindering your um, efficiency, the the efficiency of your party, um, the Republican Party, by like taking away half of the the population to be able to participate in your political project. And thus, they're not going to be bought in if they don't believe that they have the same level of participation. I think you're losing a greater scale of what you desire to see in terms of the beliefs that should be enforced in society if you operate in this manner. And I believe that if you want these principles, these ideas of like, you know, women understanding that like uh, having families is, 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 is important, I think at the same time you you would need this party to do everything to maximize a society that can leverage and can lend itself to ensuring that women can have that time off to raise the children properly. And that will require that they are also buying into voting into particular politicians within the local races and runs. And that cannot be done by them simply just relegating themselves to the house and not being informed about politics and what is happening there. Even if I don't fundamentally agree with the idea, I can talk about ways that maximize it in ways that overlap with what I also believe while not necessarily just discarding the beliefs wholesale, which this is kind of um, important for some ideas. At least people can like... ruminate about an idea, but it's hard for somebody to dismiss a principle outright, even if there is a compelling argument. There's an immediacy to dig your heels in because it's depending on how long you've believed a particular idea. So I do agree with what you're saying about like, you can't just simply tell somebody they're wrong about an idea because that doesn't necessarily tell them um, what's going on, why particularly, but I think building towards a more productive um um, version of the idea that might overlap with even some of your principles can be an effective way of getting across your message. That too, and you gotta also consider a lot of people have axioms that to them, they're like, hey, these right here, like, you know, this is my statement, this is my belief, where I see it to be, you know, accepted as truth, as a basis of argument, stuff like that, so it's hard to get through when someone doesn't even agree with an axiom like that. Like example, like anytime someone tries to talk morality with me or a topic of abortion, most of the time I don't really bite because I tell them like, Hey, my axiom is that, you know, all life that's human life has intrinsic value from natural, you know, conception to natural death. And to them, I, they can't, you know, source me bro on that. Like, yes, source bro. Where's your belief that, you know, life has intrinsic value and meaning. I'm like, well, there's no scientific study or, like, consensus on this, but this is just my axiomatic belief, like, hey, my principle is here, this is this, if you don't agree with that, we're not going to go far in a conversation, sorry, type thing. Which is, like, a, another thing you got to consider, too, going into debate, and that's why I've said it before, but it's the best approach forward to a good debate is where you see your opponent as a steel man and not a straw man, where you're looking for the best, most charitable argument for your opponent and they're doing the same for you instead of you trying to like you know go up against an argument that they're not even defending you're trying to like make some like boogeyman if you will and i see this all the time with people who feel like they're pushing a corner they'll start you know randomly flurrying around saying random things statements be like oh what about this what about this what about this and the guy who they're debating is like well i never brought up these points nor have i implied that i'm defending them this is all purely in your imagination that you're making me look like I'm defending them. That is how you get a very uncharitable one. I don't feel like they're productive at all. 
Like, sure, if you want to say you'd win points and stuff like that, but to me, it's just childish in nature, and I don't feel like it leads to anything good. Um, if you are speaking right now, I don't think any of us can hear you right now. I can hear him good right now. I can't hear him. Um, try leaving and coming back real quick. Easy, can you hear me now? Nope, uh, still can't hear him. Easy, try leaning, leaving and joining. I hear him fine. Hazy, you hear me now? Yeah, you sound good. Hey, um, Lily, can you go through and just clip that one portion, I guess? And... Alright, thank you. Uh, or is there people you were saying like 10 seconds before Hazy sure. told you? So, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the abortion topic because I think it's a good example of like something that people aren't going to ideologically move on, right? Like, if there is a staunch belief, like, um, you know, for example, that life begins at conception, um, there, there isn't going to be like, you know, any, any like grounds where two people who disagree, uh, can come together on that and be like, oh, okay, well, like, um, sure. Like life begins at conception. Uh, and thus I admit it's murder and like, that's fine. Like the other side's not going to be like, oh, okay, well, like, I, I guess, you know, we've come to an understanding that it's, it's just simply not going to happen. Um, obviously not every single, you know, time there's a disagreement that it's along those similar lines, but I do think that things just often get distilled down into, or maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. Um, I guess like you veer away enough from the actual point at hand to where you're just you have devolved into i don't know like arguing over semantics or definitions basically semantical like it could be anything like and you're you're really just not getting you're not getting anything out of that i mean as you know the two people who are exchanging ideas anyway there's another thing to be said for who your potential audience is and what that means. But, you know, even that's another conversation altogether just because of how much content is constantly being shoved in our faces and, you know, and we are constantly consuming, we are already building those ideological frameworks and foundations within ourselves, not necessarily through like any critical thought or rigorous study, simply just, you know, based on, uh, people that we like influencers uh, streamers fucking podcasters etc um it's not to say that like you can't do that but I, I just think that a lot of people don't um and, and when they're building that ideological foundation it's it's not really the most uh the most concrete no pun intended especially when it leads into like dogma or dogmatic like thinking if you will where it's like no matter what I will not like people who have the mindset like no matter what I will not see grounds to my opposing viewer side. Anything they produce, I'm gonna like laugh at or like do things like the song Piker is a good example. He recently did a movie review of The Sound of Freedom, and 
for people who don't know, it's basically a movie on human trafficking. Are there times it's a bit like on the nose, like right wing produced stuff like that, like where they do like I guess more political stuff, sure. But overall, the still premise of the movie is like, hey, it's against human trafficking, showing you how bad it is. And Hassan live streaming it, the whole movie was like peanut gallering it, being like, oh, this is so stupid. You know, this doesn't actually happen, right? And things like that. And then there's a really heart wrenching scene where a guy basically takes a little girl, so like kidnap her, and Hassan's on stream busting out laughing, being like, there's no way, man, there's no way that happens, which is like, to me, I feel like, you know, you're on a very high horse at that point, like, okay, you and your golden palace, like, talking down to people, but, like, how do you know this doesn't happen? Like, I remember when I was in high school, like, sophomore year, around, like, the part of town that did happen to a girl where she was basically abducted and nearly thrown in a van, but her mother was outside waiting for her, and this is outside, like, a, a densely populated mall, and she was able to stop the guy. Like, there's instances where these things do happen. I think it's very disingenuous to laugh it off, not because, you know, you are, I guess, you're laughing it off not because you think it's, like, bad, but because you think, like, oh, if I, you know, don't do so, I'm supporting my opposing view. It's, like, show some empathy, if you will, maybe, sometimes, or, like, to your opponent. And this goes back to what I said earlier, just straw man, steel man comparison. Like, don't be, like, the guy laughing at someone's position. Like, try to be sincere and kind and courtesy to it. Even at first you think it's ridiculous, try to look at it in, like, a more perspective like like okay if i'm in this guy's shoes basically like how am i gonna react to this type thing i think um one of the uh unique things that we uh touched upon earlier is just the idea that really being diametrically opposed in some ways like the fundamental like core tenet of why somebody might hold up uh abortion uh pro-life position versus an abortion position is so like drastically different that like how do we reach each other if we are attempting to change each other's minds that's different but if we um are merely just arguing why there's two things that could happen one we could be arguing as to why we believe our positions to be valid or we could be arguing why the other position is not something that someone should hold. Because at this point, if we hold something so drastically different as if I believe in consciousness or you believe in, for instance, that life begins at conception, we are holding like fundamentally different positions to some degree. So we have to talk about like either consistency, logical consistency, more principle. What does it mean to hold these positions? And if you could give the strongest version of my argument versus the strongest version of your argument. And if we could like ruminate as to what it means if we were to change our minds or not on those parameters. But sometimes if I say to somebody, I believe that morality starts from just this implicit understanding that most human beings psychologically are built in a way where we are social in a, to a degree and that we want to live with each other and we want to do as much to ensure that the people in our most immediate proximity are living the happiest lives they can. I would have that would that be like a more like like implicit buy-in for like my system. But if you tell me that I believe in like Muhammad and he we all prescribe these moralities and principles due to him, we are operating in such different worldviews that I can't just simply say 
morally speaking, you're wrong. I, I, I don't. It, it, it's, it's a bit of an intangible in some degree to just simply say that to you because your morality is endowed with you through a biblical a book in which you holistically believe is the truth of the matter when it comes to the subject matter. Especially so, in Islam too, because like they have the axiomatic belief that you know the Quran as a book is written by you know Allah. Like that book was like descended down by that and. People like to throw throw jabs at Muslims when they get, like, pressed or irritated when, like, you know, like, someone's, like, trying to explain the Quran. But it's, like, to them, it's very personal where it's, like, hey, this is my axiomatic belief that, like, these books were written by, like, a divine being. And you're over here just shitting on it and, like, you know, disrespecting it, which is, like, something you gotta be, like, I said, consider it. Like, even though you don't subscribe to that ideology or belief or religion, you should at least have the courtesy to know, like, hey, this is what, where they're standing from, if you will. But um, another thing, too, really quick, if you guys don't mind, like, I've also, I wrote a Substack article on this, but my personal theory I've put out was just saying, like, hey, I believe, like, why people are divided, too, are not just axiomatic beliefs, but, like, a concept of, you know, the view of, like, what is human nature, and, like, it boils down to, like, you know, is man a constrained beast or unconstrained, and in a sense, you have, like, a spectrum of it, basically, how constrained is it, and the more right-wing people believe like yes man is constrained as in he is more bound or fixed to do certain things than be more altruistic if that makes any sense so like a right-wing person would say like i don't want to support you know socialism or any like collective policy because i believe people would be greedy at the end of the day to protect their own or their own interest at heart while someone with the unconstrained view would say around the opposite be like well i believe humans are inherently you know good and like altruistic where they can be willing to be collectivized or share or help out other people. And that's just always an interesting thought process I had and just reading through different philosophers, like their views on it. But it just boils down to even like religion as a whole, like Christianity has, you know, the concept of the fall or like original sin, where it's saying like, hey, you know, man is born of sin, therefore we're always going to be flawed. And that's a view that's very constrained in nature. But I think that question really comes down to like whether original sin, you know, like whether you take that at face value and say like that is something, uh, you know, just that's within all of us, that's in humanity, you can't get rid of it, um, is a little bit different than I think the way that people often interpret it as it's just like humans are inherently bad and sinful. Um, I I always disagreed with that. Um, with that framing of it. But at the end of the day, like, I just think it's strange that, uh, you still have like a very conservative, you know, backline to that, you know, like a very religious conservative, um, you know, backing to that entire ideology. But like, there's of course, you know, like atheists who would say the same thing. Right. So they don't use, you know, any religious framework to make that same argument. And, I guess those people are a little bit more, uh, they're a little bit more confusing to me and, and harder to read, like, why they believe these things. Like, is it simply the... Or Hitchens being pro-life and stuff like that? It's like, well, why? Yeah. And then... No, more just like, if you if you are going to, you know, reject religion, but you're also just going to agree with that, uh, with that, like, Western religious axiom of, 
original sin exists therefore man is inherently sinful and like will be driven towards sin um if you are an atheist you consider yourself to be on the right like you don't even have to adopt that framework i mean i understand why you do because it enables you to you know like backstop all of your you know beliefs but like what is it actually predicated on um, what's what's the course of human behavior that you were that you're looking at yeah. to to actually reinforce that framework that's a good point too and it kind of leads into like you know of i guess objectivity and morality and i said this a few times but like you know as an atheist like sharing a lot of sentimental views as like you know the let's say the right-wing atheist if you will they confuse me as well because I'm like, okay, I believe God is a source of objective morality. He's a d- definer of good and evil. And like without accepting his laws or commandment, all morality simply becomes personal opinion and following the crowd. And people will like jolt up like, oh, you're saying atheists can't be moral? I'm like, no, I'm not saying atheists can't be moral people. I'm just saying they're not going to have any grounds or justifications for the claims, even if they make the same claims I do. Because someone's simply going to be like, you know this, but what is your justification for it? Which they can't provide any besides it is the self or the personal experience. I'm like, okay, if you're saying you just fight your morality simply by your purely individualistic self, then my next question would be like, what's stopping someone else who's also an individual having a polar opposite view? Then who is right in this scenario? And then you just boil down to like more relativistic thinking where like everyone could have their own view and we all do our own thing, which is, I feel like is a dangerous slippery slope. Yeah, but it's also... I mean, I think you've just sort of, you know, made the point about why objectivism is like more attractive to the atheist conservative or the atheist, at least economic right winger, uh, because you can just you can you can outsource all of that stuff, uh, you know, just to market interaction. I think um, one of the uh, interesting things we also um, when we talk about objective morality in terms of just um, I think the implicit um, idea that is usually informed by this level of morality is to talk about like not just simply personal feelings in any regard but it's usually just talking about people's personal interests and how people try to protect that personal interest and in doing so they try to have some sort of mutual or implicit like agreement amongst each other that one would not do no harm unless ex ex, ex, ex uh, um fantastical circumstances like um exist in which the confines of just everyday commerce just deteriorates in which um extreme survival must kick in and thus preservation becomes a thing but in terms of just societal norms and how we conduct ourselves most people are just who to to um to just take care of their um everyday interests and to ensure that to maximize that to some degree requires some level of cooperation amongst the collective the collective people um i'm not going to say that like in terms of religion in that sense i think it definitely just quell a lot of um daunting questions about reality and existence in of itself and i think that uh, as a it's 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 um it doesn't I wouldn't say 
either one of these have very intense thinking, but I think that it definitely requires a more immediate satisfactory answer as to like the, the existence of life and how it is and what it came to be. Even rereading Genesis in terms of like what it means for um, people to live good lives is often leading whole uh, principally by like the word of the God, um, God and just how light and day became to like even the the um, explanation of how the universe came to be light and day was separated and god knew it was good and if you prescribe to the idea that god is the whole arbiter of good and the existence of the universe coming to be is just explicitly a good thing to be as well as humanity as we are just the default conquerors of all society because he has made us in his image therefore it is only natural that i am a conqueror of society it's natural that i am the apex of society in that regard but it is also important that i follow his word and his worship and also show a level of humility because there will be a point where i will leap while i will relinquish my mortal call to um find myself in a place of um internal um internal um tranquility so it's very like it, it definitely does um relinquish you from a lot of that sort of internal monologue but at the same time um, I think it's, it's, it gives sorry. you sorry, go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off but it, but in terms of uh, just to get back to the point in of itself is that it's very hard for people to just simply uh, in terms now the most interesting question and you can answer this after your response but i think the most inter interesting question is that how would you think the most effective way for a monologue to transpire between an atheist and a Christian or whatever religion have you in terms of just arguing about morality and it, because we're not just arguing I'm morally right we're talking about how society should maximize that and if and even if they didn't believe in that fundamental or implicit buy-in how would you try to like find your middle ground in that way so I'll be, it would be interesting to hear you guys both in your opinions on that subject matter well go ahead Ernest well, yeah, I mean, like, maybe this is a good, uh, this is a good, like, test case for, you know, how you can get to that point that you sort of tie it back into the original question you asked, right? Like, in this, um, in this, like, cultural milieu of, um, you know, debate discourse and all that stuff, and people, um, you know, just getting very stubborn, hard-headed, unable to actually move on any particular point. Um, you know, how can you actually ever come to changing minds, uh, to, I don't know, like elevating things beyond just, I don't know, petty, petty bickering or semantical nonsense, right? And I think the atheist, theist, uh, you know, example is, is probably a pretty decent one, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that you could come to an agreement as theists and atheists about moral frameworks, uh, you might like find yourself uh you know stopping at a little fork in the road and getting into a semantical argument about like oh well where does morality come from i said sorry but like that's a sideshow you don't need to do that the reality is you probably do agree on most of the basics of you know a moral or ethical framework and you can go from there beyond that it's like you can agree to disagree about like you know <laughs> any uh any theology or you know, cosmological view you might have about existence itself, um, unless that's the thing you actually want to debate, in which case, uh, I mean, again, it might make for interesting entertainment, but 
I don't think anyone's really going to change their mind like listening to it. You know, I mean, I I've, I've watched plenty of those you know, debates, and uh, oddly enough, I've never come away convinced uh, that either the theist or the atheist uh, was a hundred percent convincing in their arguments. Especially in the concept of like theology, that's one of those tricky fields where I always see it as a cat and mouse game to where if you were to get the best theist or in the best like atheist to argue, it would just simply be like a negation. Like that's all it would happen. And going forward, if you want to talk about like what you said earlier, axiomatic beliefs and stuff like that, or like, hey, where do we go from here? I think, you know, presuppositional arguing is the best form, me personally, because it's right out the gate saying like, hey, you know, all of us have presuppositions. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist, theist, believer, you know, left, right, whatever. We all have like beliefs. So what we're going to try to do is argue whose worldview provides the more coherent foundation of rationality, morality and meaningful knowledge. Doing so, I feel like it can tend more to more productive conversation because you're not trying to, you know, critique their uh, axiomatic beliefs or critique their foundation first. You're jumping right over that, skipping the semantic BS and going straight into, okay, let me hear out the best case of your worldview. I'll present mine and we can move from there. And that's why I find it so much enjoyable. Like the best debates are usually held that way. And um, what's it? William Lane Craig this a lot where some of his debates where he'd have like arguments that made him stand out from other apologetics was that he would straight up ask them like he'd say, OK, you say you're an atheist, but may I ask you, what is your personal burden of proof for, you know, you to believe in God or believe in that? And then they'll be kind of shocked and like, oh, OK, I'll just tell you. And then I'm like, all right, that's your burden of proof. Let's move from there. And then they'll go into the conversation about that. That, to me, is a lot more productive than being like, oh, I know this 17th century philosopher, do you? Like, stuff like that. It's just, to me, that's just silly. It's childish. Like, okay, cool, you know, people, you read books, like, that are really old. But, like, what can we do that's productive and meaningful, not only for the conversation between you two as individuals, but for people listening in, the audience? Because the audience is the people you got to consider the most as well. But, yeah, that's just, that's my opinion on that. That's a you know, much better way to actually build like um, a coherent understanding of like where you're coming from, you know, like when you just have two, I mean, they don't even have to be polar opposite, you know, views like theism versus atheism, for example. But once you discard the more like superfluous, uh, you know, aspects of whatever you're talking about, like, then that's fine. You can just go from there and you can actually get to like the meat of a disagreement and maybe even use some of that common understanding, uh, you know, that you do have to to hit on something that actually, like, does have meaning rather than just being like, oh, well, God exists. No, well, God doesn't exist. It's like, okay, it, it doesn't matter. You're not moving them on that. Like, find the area where you can actually, like, uh, I don't know, make sense uh I guess, like, between, like, what you will or won't agree on, because you don't need to talk about, like, you're not going to move an atheist and, like, oh, well, like, I, I'm basing all of my beliefs on, like, the fact that you're going to hell or, like, you know, that I'm going to heaven and thus, like, all my work, you know, here on earth has to be related to that. It's like, 
okay, maybe just set that to the side since they're not going to agree. You know, you can apply this exact same logic to probably a lot of things that you might not even realize. Uh, but I don't think people are really willing to do that generally in debate discourse. I mean, one, because I think it makes it a lot less entertaining, but also because it does make you, it does potentially make it seem like you're, um, I don't know, maybe too agreeable or, or like um, you're tacking like toward their position uh, and maybe appear too sympathetic or something. Yeah, you don't want to end up like what Dave Rubin has, where every single guest he'd have on a show is just him nodding his head, being like, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, like, he'll have guests of like vastly different views that end up contradicting. Um, but I feel like Oxford University does it best, and they're like a heavy inspiration for me, like t- tuning in like Oxford debates, because a lot of theirs are very professionally done. And I view it as a mental image as this. Like, you take out a box that has, you know, puzzles in it, like a giant puzzle piece box, and you throw it on a table, and you have all your pieces scattered everywhere. You want to separate and organize the pieces and lay out what everyone has on the table. Basically, like, okay, here are the corner pieces, here are the side pieces, here are the middle pieces, here are the clear pieces. Here are pieces of the ground. To me, that's how I visualize a good debate, because I'm seeing, here are all the tools at the table... Now let's build this puzzle. Let's put this puzzle together and see what we could do. I don't want us to look at, you know, a box of spilled puzzle pieces and go, well, I'm just going to keep moving my hand across it, scrambling around until eventually pieces will click. No, that's not productive. You won't get your picture or the image result you want. You're just scrambling things around. And that's like what we were saying this whole time, the whole semantic game, if you will. It's better to be more neat and organized with that and just prepared, knowing what everyone has on table, like showing your cards, if you will. Agreed. And, like, to draw, like, an analogy to just, like, a boxing match, for example, right? It's like, I mean, what are the greatest fights? Like, they're ones, they aren't lopsided. They aren't 45-second knockouts. They're, you know, ones where people are trading blows for 12 rounds doing all kinds of incredible things there's knockdowns on both sides and once the decision is rendered if there is one you know like (laughs) the fighters embrace at the end right so like maybe that's a little corny but like i think there is a key respect for your opponent and like giving it your all i like that a lot exactly so like you made a point earlier about you know, steel manning the opponents are even like, yeah, that is important. It doesn't just mean that you need to be like totally sympathetic and start believing what they say, but like take it seriously, take their perspectives seriously. And you're not only going to find that like you'll be able to talk to them better. Um, you're going to find that like you can treat them like more humanely and you like not just into that position where you're just digging your heels in constantly. And I, I think that would be my ultimate answer to your original question, Hazy. I think yeah, good question, Hazy. Thank you, appreciate it. Um, I think one of the things you both brought up here is that sometimes we get lost in the weeds in terms of conversation. In some ways, we often enough get like, oh, do you know Equan or do you know Atlas Shrug? These can be serviceable in terms of understanding em- emotes. To some degree, people get lost in information sometimes, not understanding that, uh, for the most part, information does have its utility, but only so much. 
in objectivity in music, most people often relay back to playing like Bach for the purposes of saying what is objectively good music. Rather, they seem to misunderstand this. Rather, when you learn classical music, you are just learning better ways to emote and to express the musical landscape. In the same way, I believe that philosophy some ways can better educate you to expand and articulate ideas that you didn't know the right phrasing or language for. For me, no, nothing is earned or gained by you simply informing me that you have read a myriad of philosophers. If you cannot articulate their ideas to me within the confines of this conversation and and you cannot show me the inability uh, by ill abilities or my gaps in judgment and understanding, then it is a nebulous thing you are invoking within the conversation to just merely search superiority in the combo. So that's what bring up too, because I remember when I have a group chat that I have a bunch of people with different views in, and I added you into that group chat a while ago, and we had a communist member, I'm not going to say his name for his privacy, but he was also in the group chat, and he basically is bringing up the concept of like you know because someone asked him like hey under a comment i don't support communism because i don't want anyone taking my stuff and his response was oh there's a difference there's personal property private property and when he asked him like well what's the difference he told him like okay you know private property is basically things you can make money off of and stuff like that it's like a very like not paying attention definition so he responded like, well, what about my PC? Like, I play video games and stream, and I make money off of that. Is that private or personal? And the communist's response was, LOL, go read Hegel. And you immediately just jumped in and, like, got on him. You're like, dude, what the fuck? Like, if someone's being sincere, not trying to be smug about it, and your response is, LOL, read a book like you're better than them, that person's not going to walk away thinking, like, huh, I really want to advocate for this ideology now if you're just getting brushed off and it's like that's one of those things like if it irritates me a lot of social media if you're gonna wear your ideology on like your bio or you're openly advocating for you should as equal be openly advocated to defend that topic or help people understand it more even in christianity the bible literally tells us that like hey if you are a christian be ready at any moment to understand your faith and explain it to someone to have a better clarity over that like, if I'm a Christian and someone asks me a question, I'm not going to say, I don't know, man, just go read the Bible, because that makes me sound like an asshole. Like, wow, thanks, man. Like, I'm just oh, trying no, to... Man, just, just read the Ketuvin, you know? Just, yeah, just, I was like, just, I don't know, man. Just, just go read, like, read a book, bro. Like, it just sounds, like, so smug and, like, rude to people. Like, wow. Like, come on. Well, I mean, like, it's sort of illustrative, too, of of going into that, like, zone where you're just, like... I mean, not only is in this example of the person you're talking about, are they being stubborn? Like, it's just, it's completely nonsensical because, like, I mean, Hegel's not going to talk about private versus personal property because it's in a framework that exists until, you know, like, uh, Marx has developed it. And even Marx, like, barely talks about the distinctions between personal and private property, except what you alluded to as far as making money. But, like, that can mean a lot of things, right? Like, that's a good question to ask. Uh, my PC, um, like this is something that other people, you know, in the decades and century plus since Marx have attempted to articulate. And it's going to be different probably depending on wherever your perspective is. Like you can gain capital by simply being a homeowner and the house going up in value. But other people would argue, well, that doesn't count as private property because you aren't using somebody else. You, you aren't exploiting their labor essentially, right? 
you could make that same argument for the PC owner. If he's making money with his PC, like, I don't know, mining Bitcoin or, like, streaming, doing his own work, he's doing his own labor. He's still making money off of it, but he's not exploiting anyone else. Thus, many people would say that's simply just personal property still. Um, the fact that this guy doesn't even understand that just renders him unable to answer the question and simply give a completely incoherent response, like, go read it, go. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd have a lot more respect, too, if he just upfront honest, be like, hey, man, I don't have the answer on me at this time. I'll get back to you. Like, there's been times I host, you know, religious Twitter spaces where people would ask me, like, very deep or complex questions. And I'll tell them, like, hey, I can't get, get back to you. Like, I don't know the answer on the fly at this time, but if you, like, open your DMs, I'll promise you I'll send you a message within 20 to 48 hours of, like, you know, a more educated response. Like, then that shows, like, you're at least being courteous and not trying to brush them off of, like, yeah, just read a book, bro. Like, I think there's an exceptional amount of humility that comes with, you know know what, that's a tough question. I would have to ruminate on that. I think the inability for people just to simply say, you know, I don't know at the moment of time is something that I think a lot of people need to educate themselves to do, to be like, I don't know at the moment of time. Or um, if you are, if you're like a communist or communalist, I expect that you can succinctly express to me why you hold these beliefs rather than just responding to me with a wall of text from the book you're you're championing right now. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to read this because this is not your interpretation of this language uh, of what the book means. Yeah, anyone can copy paste some article. Yeah, copy paste print. Anyone can do that. <laughs> like, like, no, like, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the book right now. I'm talking to you. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to ascertain your understanding of what this means. It means nothing for me to just read this because then it, it assumes that I agree. I'm going to as soon as I read this, I'm going to agree with it. And that's that's a, another thing we mentioned too is gish galloping. Um, for people who don't know what gish galloping is, it's from a debater. I think he was in the '90s or '80s. It was like something gish was his last name, where he would have a tactic where he was notorious for shotgunning as many different wide variety points as possible in the shortest amount of time. So when it's your time, you're spending your entire section like on damage control, answering all of his questions. But eventually you can't reach every single question. And like let's say you get nine out of ten during his turn, he'd be like, You see, my opponent couldn't answer the question I posed to him, therefore I won. And that's like a thing like, yeah, you know, just shotgunning a bunch of short sources at me and sending me like fifty links isn't gonna change my mind. Like I'm asking you to person, like what Hazy said. I'm not asking what this article or journalist said. I'm asking you. <laughs> like But But that's a I don't know. So on the one hand, like, I agree. First of all, I think people have a hard time just simply saying, oh, I don't know, this is, uh, honestly, it's a little bit beyond my understanding, or even I don't know, or I'd have to think more about that. They don't want to do that. Um, Whatever. We could get into a variety of reasons why that's the case, but ultimately, whatever. There's, There's another thing, too, about, like, when you ask someone to explain, like, I agree. I, I don't like when someone just responds with, um, it's not my job to educate you or like do your own research or like, Oh, LOL, read a book. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I can't expect people to entertain the idea of like, you know, going into the details of like everything that they believe, uh, because like that does take time. It is annoying. And I, I'm, I'm sure both of you have, done this like a number of times 
you know, sometimes you're really happy to do it, maybe. Um, but other times you're just kind of like, uh, all right, I, like, this is a waste of time. Like, maybe I could direct you to some resources or whatever to get a better understanding rather than me spending, you know, an hour and a half talking about this, uh, maybe even disagreeing or, uh, God forbid, devolving into fucking semantical arguments with you about it. Um, but I'm just, you know, it's just not something I'm going to do right now. I understand that as well. So it's it's a bit of a contradiction for me, I suppose, as far as where I come down uh, and when I'm going to, like, be in the mood to talk about any of that shit or not. A lot of it will come down to whether I feel like the questions are even being asked in good faith or not. That is true. Like, you gotta consider, like, is this good faith or bad faith, Gage? Like, do you want to waste your time on it? I've had um some individual, basically... He tried to say, like, um, oh, you know, you're right-wing libertarian. What's your opinion on, you know, Rothbard and, like, CP and, like, slavery? I'm like, well, I could cite you a book right here. I'll put a passage in, and I'll tell you my personal opinion, what he meant on that, of him being like, hey, you know, slavery in all systems is immoral because it's you stripping the individual of his rights and, like, natural given rights. And then, like, CP stuff, he never mentioned that once in any of his literature. Could you, like, show me where you're getting that from? And his response was, oh, it's out there. I just don't have it on me now. But he defends it. I'm like, yeah, but you don't... You're obviously vindictive against my ideology and you don't support it. I do support this ideology, and I try my best to, like, research into it. And I've never heard once, like, anything, like, that damning against, you know, the person I'm basically believing in like listening to his like you know works like yeah i agree with this and i was trying to get at him but the whole conversation with him be like nah uh it exists but i just not going to show you and i'm like okay this is a bad faith conversation he's not here because he's genuinely curious about opinion he just thought he could get a gotcha over me but i knew like you know what this was i wasn't gonna like buckle under it I understand the problem of like not being able to constantly have to articulate like the Bible of everything you stand and everywhere you're grounded on. I just think it's very important in some confines in which the um, it's vital to ensure people that you do understand what you're advocating for. That like you have some knowledge, especially if it's paramount to um, the core of what we're discussing. Like if I was to say something to the effect of. Um, um, Abraham Lincoln and slavery. If I was to speak to some confines about legislative acts or what he planned to do to ensure that um, um, black people had the independence and sovereignty in the land and how to rebuild the land after the um, separation of the South, I would um, rather than just simply say these things, I would point to quotes as well to 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 substantiate like, hey, this person is more in line with what I'm saying. Of course, these are moments where providing a quote is apropos. But if I was to say something to the effect of um, Abraham Lincoln agreed with me, and it's so obvious if you just Google these I, these aspects of his character, it's like, okay, I don't know if that proves me anything or like it shows a demonstration that you understand what you're talking about. It's, well, it, and this is different from philosophy because I feel as though philosophy, um, someone can just cite me a wall of text. And if it were an argument about something and they were in disagreement, me simply reading it doesn't I mean, I'm going to automatically agree with what the text says. Like, I'm, 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 I'm asking you your persuasive argument as to why this is a good thing for me to like, could like, um, look into or just 
That's that's why I think. I think if you're going to be an effective advocate for a particular belief, there is absolutely going to be books you're going to be referring to people. But in terms of like the digital age and how we're going to keep giving people bite-sized information, I don't think it makes any sense for leftists in, in general to be to present people the wall of text of information. And some of I'm like, all right, especially if if if, if like. Most philosophy books have those introductory statements, you know, those, 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 like, most philosophy books have those parts where they have you, yeah. they, they try to persuade you on the implicit buy-in that's necessary, the presumption that is required in order to everything else to work out. But usually, in some books, um, people just are quoting you something that is so dense within the book itself that, like, you don't know how to meaningfully engage with what they've cited you so like i i don't i don't know what to make of this like in terms of like what you're talking about so again i think that it's fine to 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 be an advocate of any of these beliefs per se but i just think that it's it, it shows your effectiveness to to discuss these ideas just beyond simply reiterating the word of the path of the passage so yeah i i understand what you're saying about like people and inability to to talk about these ideas i just think that sometimes it's very important in terms of debate and, and, and exercising your knowledge of these subject matters overall though i feel like it's a good thing because like i always view people's ideologies as being like kind of like a p portion of them because i'm thinking to myself like what works in your head where you see this as being good you know what it explains more about you as a person almost and I'm not saying it as, like, a snarky thing or a bad thing. I just think humans are cool like that. Like, wow, like, you're able to, like, find this thing and be passionate enough to, like, read into this or, like, study it more and learn about it. Like, I think that's cool. And people could hate me for saying, like, oh, what about X ideology or, like, Y ideology? And I'm like, well, I don't agree with everything. And I'm sure there's sons I'd strongly advocate against. But at least I could tip my hat off if I see someone who's genuinely trying it or, like, compassionate about something. Like, even if it's something I don't understand or agree with at all, but. Yeah, and there's, there's something to be said about, like, dropping a source um, and then expecting someone to read it and expect them to come to the same conclusions as you did, like, when you read it, right? Because maybe you picked up that book, that, you know, philosophy text, um, and you're already in alignment with you know, whatever the author is saying discussing um maybe you didn't but like more than likely there was something that attracted you to it oh if someone who is already like having ideological disagreement with you uh is recommending you something like you're going to read that text from a totally different perspective obviously and it's going to make it a lot harder for you to ever gain theirs i mean like you know it'll get you closer than like them just talking about like the broad strokes of it and maybe you can be convinced um you know certainly if someone's recommending you to read it uh they probably feel that the arguments are strong enough or uh you know just like the scholarly uh you know the scholarly rigor of it is enough to keep you um at least i don't know reading the whole thing and then gaining new perspective but I think that's really just like that's that's the really difficult part of all of this is uh, not even necessarily changing your mind about anything Stephen Crowder style, but like at least having inability to understand the other perspective. Um, you know, when you do look at something. So I mean, sort of like I was saying before, that will at least allow you to have a better foothold 
when you're making arguments against something or um i don't know even uh even altering your perspective you know however slight that too and i just i don't think that people frame it recently i don't get this where i'm not defending steven crowder here but i don't feel like saying like oh you know i tried to change my mind i didn't means that you're just being narcissistic narcissistic or stuck up it's just some people like we said at the beginning of this podcast just don't have their minds changed on certain things which i can understand but definitely i've been saying this for a while now like you should always try to learn more and experience more understand more for different views on anything so you could grow as a person and I feel if there's someone who has the exact identical views down to a T they had 10 years ago as they have like today, I don't feel like that person's like actively trying to grow or like changes or anything like that. Like if I had the political beliefs I did when I was like, you know, let's say 16, as I do as I have now, I wouldn't see myself as being a growing or, you know, maturing person or I'd say that for anyone. Like if you go any like, you know, political commentator, if you will, and you're like, you check a cl- stream of them when they were like starting off and they're saying the same thing same talking points and then years down the road they're same thing same talking points for literally everything then to me i'm like okay are you doing this because you're just trying to like push something or are you genuinely like interesting in learning because if you walk in with the mindset of like you know the only no- truth i do know is that i know nothing then you'll be a lot more i wouldn't i don't like saying the word progressive but a lot more mature in your approach on things like don't go in all prideful like oh i'm so smart in this topic like go in like genuinely curious like get that spark back that you had as a kid like we all were like curious as kids get that back like stop being so stagnant or dogmatic in like beliefs but that's my that's my view i mean i think there's a cynicism that just sort of like that creeps in eventually and just sort of beats that out of you um I think people like, even when they say, you know, that sort of thing, it's like they, you can repeat it as much as you want, but like, I don't believe most people actually would subscribe to it, right? Like, they don't actually believe they know nothing um, when they're going into these, uh, you know, sorts of, uh, you know, debates or whatever. Like, and I think that the fact that we see this sort of stilted discourse and inability to actually like move anywhere. Um, I mean, I don't even fucking care. Just move somewhere uh, sort of speaks to that, right? Like people are convinced that they're correct and the other person is wrong and that's it. They're not going to hear anything else. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I guess like really what we're talking about here is how to break out of that. And I guess you got to, you gotta actually make that a core of what you you like think about yourself and the way you perceive things um instead of just saying it you know repeating the mantra like uh no i actually uh i'm I'm super humble i i know nothing no you actually have to like you have to internalize that for real um but i don't think that most people are willing to do that which i mean fair enough i'm sure i'm guilty of that as well i think the biggest thing um it's often 
it can be enticing and enticing for some people to see ideas as an unmovable obelisk, as a something that has never changed or altered throughout the years of its existence. Like for some people, people might look at Ben Shapiro as has he meaningfully ever decided to push himself in terms of like conversations or discourse when it comes to trans issues on these subject matters? Or has he gone against somebody who even has a monochrome of actual debate prowess in which they could push him meaningful on these subject matters? Many people may look at that and go, well, this person is uh, unwilling to to change his minds about anything and it's unreasonable to even look towards him as a reasonable voice. But at the same time, someone can look at that person and say, look at that person unwilling to change his mind um, because he is so strongly held to his beliefs. And look at that and from that lens of conflict, of, of, of being unwavering and unfeathering because to some people... Um, unwavering is the same thing as being very sound and strong in your beliefs to some degree i think i watched a conversation between him and uh, ben shapiro and uh the guy who's now a meme in terms of just like um science and all that i'm trying to think of his name he's a, a black guy who uh sometimes talks about gravity neil degrassi tyson neil degrassi tyson yes sir yes Esky. um I thought it was kind of interesting how they had this conversation about uh, transgenderism and um, Neil deGrasse Tyson proposed a very interesting question to to um, to Ben Shapiro where they were talking about self-identification and what it mean, what it means socially because he said like you are your biology and biology is, it dictates your hormonal growth and I'm like yes this is all sound he says, he says but what he says so this is what I thought was interesting. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson just completely concedes to this. Well, I don't think he necessarily concedes anything because that would argue or suggest that he was arguing that position. But he says, granted, but what are we saying when we talk about that? Like, what, how can we move the conversation beyond simply just arguing biology and the, social, and the biological essentialism of, like, who we are as people? And how does that, like, play into... Well, who we are socially speaking, and, and how we recognize each other in terms of our discourse, and how malleable that is in terms of who we are as individual and people. Since that's an interesting question, when we think about how me as a person, like in terms of just names, for instances, I'm going by hazy dialects, and none of the people here know me by my government name, but it's all the same in terms of our conversation. That is necess not necessary to push any sort of ideas, um, but it is it, it very interesting how Neil deGrasse Tyson was just a earnest actor in that conversation and how he was just like, no, let's like try to push our conversation beyond that part. Because as a as a physicist, I, as he loves to propose to everyone, I'm, I'm a physicist, you know, you got to understand this. Like, <laughs> I, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson sometimes. He's a very interesting person to talk to, but sometimes when he talks about stuff, he's just like, I feel like we've gone so far away from... Um, um, what we were actually talking about that it kind of like became such a bigger scope. But in terms of Ben Shapiro, I would say that it was interesting to watch him kind of go back to these talking points, which showed to some degree that he wasn't really like engaging as earnestly as Neil was. And it was kind of just in these confines of like reiterating similar points. Now, he's changed a modicum of some of his beliefs in terms of, like, pro like names and all that. 
not not pronouns but names he's like okay with but pronouns is like a different conversation for him whatever but i do still think that it's very interesting to like look at it from that different perspective the only reason why i brought this up is just how some people look at a constant as a sign of strength and you know social grouping and how we deal with politics that often leads people to go oh that's a that's evidence of how like compelling their beliefs are because they've been reiterating the same thing for such a long period of time so um but at the same time i think we've all noticed that um a lot of bastions of political like like um arguments or even just political figures don't really engage like the most popular who have constantly been making content on each other for years on end never like are ever in a debate sphere which not only would it be obviously entertaining to have seen but it would have been really interesting to see these cross these roads crossed in a lot of ways and if you all of you have noticed recently um i think it was the surfs who went on ben who went on tim pool's podcast and i i i feel like soul is going to get kicked out of this so, Surf said it should be permitted that a woman is able to get a nine-month abortion, but he also caveated that it doesn't happen and it never occurs. But you kind of implicitly like agreeing to the idea that it would be okay if it did occur. You, you know what I'm saying? So then Tim Pool asked this one question. He said, what if a woman is actively doing meth while she's pregnant? And the Surf's um, host said, I would be opposed to that. And Tim Pool asked him, well, <laughs> why? And he said, well, that's actually killing a child. I'm like, how did you just, what? 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 And that's all gymnastics. Uh, that's, like, you do realize that's like what every, like, this is the, that's why I think it's very important to have those sort of conversations because if you've been following the shows for all this time and that's like, they run into the wall that easily in a conversation, you go, what the fuck have you been doing this entire time? Like, how does that, like, how is that something that you get stomped on? You say, because it's killing, because <laughs> it's killing, it, it's consciously killing a child. That's what they think abortion is. That's, that's exactly what they think. The harder to fall. That's why I say, the more extreme you go for an ideology, the more holes you can find. That's one of those things. The more extreme you go, the less need for, like, you know, I guess, what's it called? There's less needs for you to find contradictions because all you need is like one to crack through. And you could go through even for something like if someone says this claim is absolute, that means you're saying my burden of proof is just to find one. All you need to do is one and your house of cards fall down. But that's why you got to be careful about like having extremist ideologies because then you're just locked in this little echo chamber where it just takes one thing. And here comes crashing your house of cards, if you will. I, it definitely does happen, um, especially when we um, think of like the bike, like the bike incident. I think um, bringing it back to like just um, debate in general. Um, I think in terms of the infinite highway of largely accessible information and the continuous filtration of information that is constantly coming we to some degree have to relinquish some control um to um some figurehead to speak upon these subject matters because it, it would be almost inconceivable for us as human beings on a regular basis to take in the amount of information that is constantly coming out on the internet highways 
um, the only problem with this is that this is filtered through another person's understanding of this information. And worst of all, it could be a political ideologue that is completely driven by some idea to filter you, to give it to you in the most charitable way possible. And um, while fact checking has become exceptional to some degree, I think that um, one of the things that really does help discourse is accepting to some regard the story that's been given to you but also being willing to just fact this is what i usually do i don't usually read the entire story myself i'm usually like all right here's a story that's been given to me by like my favorite radio host or tv um programmer and then i usually go all right what are the really crucial things that will drastically change my opinion if wrong and i google search about those things that's usually what I do in terms of like d d defending myself against the infinite like highway of information because the bike Karen is very different when you take into account um like how it happened like it looks bad if you just watch a 20 second minute video but obviously due to the internet people are going to um, record the most charitable version of events that have occurred within the video itself but usually in terms of defending yourself and overall debate discourse, it just really does you well to look go just have some cliff notes, not even the entire story, but just have some cliff notes in terms of what you should look up afterwards. That would be the most important things to know if you ever were to change your mind about the subject matter. Um, in terms of YouTube, I would like to ask you guys a question. When it comes to um, debates and like information, what are the um, important um, red flags you think people should often look out for when accepting information at face value? Can you repeat that? Sorry. My question was, when it comes to debate and argument online and the continuous, ever-expanding information we get on a regular basis, what are like the red flags or like um, something you should forever be mindful of when accepting information at face value? What are like um, the techniques that you to use to ensure that you do not fall for misinformation? Um, there's a, what's it called? I'm trying to remember, there's a name of a website I've been using a lot that's been helping. Oh, it's allsides.com. I know it sounds cheesy, but I literally would, if there's like brand new, brand new information, I try my best when I can to like plug it into that like platform and it'll basically go through and it'll show you like, okay, here are the people funding this article. Here's the journalist who published it, the backstory on them. Here's what they're like, you know, talking about like brief things to let me know like, okay, you know, this is like a right link, left link piece or, you know, what is the reason for such piece? And then after that, I'll like actually go in depth and read it more if it's like, but that's only for like information is like completely like 180, like groundbreaking changing. Like, let's say if tomorrow there was some study that says we have like objectively proven that, you know, a fetus is not a human life where I'm like, oh, I got to read this. Like stuff like that. What about you? Well, like, again, like that's something that like. That can't be objectively proven to you, right? Because if you are someone who believes that, you know, human life begins at conception, like, then... No, obviously, I was just using some random analogy. I didn't, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing to be said about it, right? Like, as far as, like, misinformation goes, or, like, just source checking, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. 
I agree with what Soul is saying here, like understanding that biases are always going to exist um, is obviously like is pretty critical to like knowing when information should be trusted and how much um, or when it should just be, you know, simply discarded. Uh, those things are obviously going to be an outgrowth of like what you personally believe because your standards going to, you know, vary uh, depending on where you at, where you're at ideologically. But having that context is extremely important, I think, um, rather than what some people often default to, which is like, I want the most unbiased source or whatever. It's like, yeah, sure, you can find stuff that has less bias, but like, I don't think you're going to find any like There's totally no neutral, like... impartial observer on the vast majority of subjects. And so the most important thing you can arm yourself with is of course knowing exactly what their motivations are you know um you know like you said knowing who is funding them knowing what their ideological background is etc and once you understand all that then like i think you can much easily easier much more easily contextualize uh you know what you're in taking and then put it like put it on a shelf or fucking put it in your back pocket you know do whatever you want with it I believe it was you know. or um, the New York Times, one of those two. One of these like big publishing companies were bought out by like Elon Musk, not Elon, sorry, Jeff Bezos or Amazon. And the moment they were bought out, within a month, there was a bunch of opinion articles and pieces being like, why all billionaires are great, why you should not tax the rich, why you should do all these things like that. And it just came off like, wow, like you guys are posting a lot of pro billionaire stuff like that. And even me being like libertarian supporting it, I'm like, you guys are like not looking at this critically at all. You're basically, you know, sucking them off. Like, yeah, you know, why it's okay for them to have this and this or this, or why this is a good thing, or like why removing paid leave days is like good. I'm like, well, this is like some really far out stuff. I'm like, what a coincidence, you know? You guys are recently bought by Jeff Bezos, literally the guy you're writing articles in favor of. And to the point where it's like, it sucks, I'm like, now I'm just questioning your credibility if you are literally getting paid to write this, basically. Well, I mean, in Bezos' defense, uh, the only time I'm ever going to use that fucking phrase, by the way, um, <laughs> it's got to be awfully tempting once you buy, you know, a uh, quote-unquote nationally renowned journalistic outlet uh, to start, you know, running some cover for you. Uh, but I think the smarter play you know, would be to do a little more subtlety, uh, you know, like the more heavy handed it is, the more people are going to take it for exactly what it is. Right. Um, and it's, it's when you have like an actual attempt at making things appear even handed, uh, and unbiased that like people are going to get sucked in way more and not even realize it. So yeah, I understand. Uh, I understand that tendency. Uh, I think I, I probably would have similar feelings if I, you know, went and bought some massive media empire. But it's probably not the most effective way to go about. I don't know, like gaining more influence or gaining more, um, you know, sympathy both among the populace and uh, perhaps even amongst, uh, you know, policymakers and. Uh, people who can actually alter the trajectory of your net worth if you're, you know, in the 
100 billion plus category. Bit of a weird question if either Hazy or Ernest, if you know the answer to this. I saw this guy, he posts like TikTok videos of like, you know, I don't know, like political theory and like stuff going on today. And he had one where it was like a stat chart of like basically the ownership of all media in America. And like all of it's owned by like three or four people, like companies. Is that like true or it'll be like, you know, the Fox News branch and all the people branching off from Fox News is owned by like, you know, one family. And over here, like CNN, all these groups are owned by like one company and a group over here, like everything's owned by them. Like, we're kind of like trying to say like, hey, I know they pitch different things, but they're all like basically in the same team on top. Yeah, um, I'm not necessarily sure about that because I do believe that to some degree monopolies are very much disagree upon, but then there's black things like BlackRock as well. But there's a difference between being like a high-end investor of a company than being like the owner of said company. So I would probably have to like feather that video. The biggest problem with like a lot of conspiracy theories was... Is that a bat in the background? Oh, shit. Hazy's being attacked. Yeah, Dracula got him. R.I.P. Hazy. So... My apologies. Oh, <laughs> I just had to deal with oh, my bat. Sorry. Um, you can you can go. You can. Did um, you say you had to deal with your bat? I just had to deal with my cat. It was just. Oh, cat. I thought you said bat. I was about to say no shit. This guy owns a bat. Like that's so weird. Let's <laughs> 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 No. It's like um, they don't know about my coffin I sleep in at night. No one can know. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, why are you only active at night, man? It's just like bat, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Indeed. The thing that I noticed, and I think it's kind of important to really um, keep in mind, is that um, with most conspiracy theories, there's a reason why flat Earths so, are like so proliferate, um, can proliferate on um, the internet so well, is because to most people who don't know certain things, it is easy to give a very convincing story about a subject matter. And when you give a convincing story about subject matter that often relies on a lack of information or knowledge about a subject matter, then it, it can be the most compelling story ever. Like, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be dumb. This is going to be stupid when I went to a flight out space. But he was asking me questions that I've never really thought about. And some of it I just kind of accepted as true. And I was like, huh. Like, okay, so if the, if the atmosphere is moving one way, why are the clouds going this way? And it's like, okay, I can explain, like, certain levels of atmosphere, but then it becomes the nauseating, ask you a question until you run into something you can't answer, and then it goes, you see, that proves the earth is flat or something like that. Unless you have, like, a level of intimate knowledge about a certain subject matter, it's hard to just um, give a, like, a, an immediate rebuttal. But I think that one of the biggest things about, like, a lot of conspiracy theories is that um, it often relies on some level of fundamental misunderstanding about a subject matter but i would then again i would have to like if you could at some point um just message me the video and i probably look look over it but i yeah sorry about dropping that out of nowhere it was a video in my mind on the topic of like news media and stuff yeah i get you what about you ernest do you know anything about that yeah so like I, i think i'm assuming what they're referring to is like just the corporate consolidation that exists like in the media sphere um like i know for example like news corp which you mentioned you know they own fox they own uh 
uh, Wall Street Journal and pretty sure like the New York Post. And then, of course, you have like uh, Disney, which owns like, you know, ABC, um, you know, ESPN. Uh, I don't know if there's any other news channels in there, but yeah, I like, you know, Time Warner, uh, they own, I think CNN, I'm pretty sure CNN is under there. Uh, yeah, and then Comcast, of course, I think they own, um, all the, all the, um, like the, C, the CNBC, MSNBC, all that stuff. So yeah, there there is like a huge consolidation, you know, a lot of companies that like are under some large corporate umbrella and sure that like that's not great. Uh but I don't know, what do you what can you really do about it? I mean that's here's true. the thing. Like if they're if they're ideologically like in alignment, like okay, whatever, like you're just gonna get the same slop that you do from you know the other network right if it's for us if it's all under the same corporate umbrella i mean but like say for example um was i don't even i don't know if this is true but like uh say like msnbc or nbc and cnbc like one of those companies owned uh msnbc but also like uh, Newsmax or One America News or something, right? Like they owned uh, a like liberal leaning outlet and a uh, you know more conservative leaning one, right? Like what would what would be your takeaway from that, right? Would it be like oh well, like they're um, actually like this is just a psyop or something, or would it be like well no, I'm just recognizing that like they're trying to capture the largest possible market share. And so they're doing that by having, you know, two different networks under the same corporate umbrella, but like going to two different audiences from, you know, just a simple, simple, like, you know, capitalist perspective, it seems pretty understandable why they would. Um, but I'm not sure if that actually is the case. If any company actually does that, if they don't, uh, I don't know. Suppose I'd ask myself why. Hmm. What would be the point of just what would be the point of just sticking to one, you know, uh, exactly. Actually, I don't even want to call it ideology. Point. Holy shit, you made a blind blowing like, observation. Hey, let me believe my conspiracy theories now. I don't want you guys proving me wrong just yet. <laughs> oh, ooh, my brain just expanded. Like, oh my I'm about to like have a brain hemorrhage. Actually, if you think about it. Not, not in the confines of like what would be politically efficacious to like keep the masses constantly in confrontation with one another. Rather, if you look at it from the the economic like landscape that they exist within, wouldn't it make sense to just say, hey, I'm going to fund you guys, and you guys can talk about whatever you guys are politically at believe is advocacious or whatever your alignment is and i'm also going to fund these people who are also going to talk about whatever they want because i know that having both of these sides speak about these subject matters and provide the public at large um the the views um projected onto tv screens obviously maximizes my profit at the end of the days because i'm not of any alignment whatsoever i'm just trying to look at what could maximize like even if we look at like um something like 
what we do here. Like we we work at, at like us we, we we work on this podcast as well, and we uh, we have a different political beliefs. If um and we have a different political alignments, but what is good for a um, network or any sort of investor is to offer people variety rather than just um devoting yourself to one singular belief because you know you're not tapping into the true market. If you want to maximize your probability, you're probably going to have to be dabbling into multiple places just to ensure that you're making good bank on everything. So that's like an interesting idea. I, I um, wasn't even entertaining until I, if you take it out of that confine of that, like that reasoning, and, and it, it becomes it starts to make more sense when you go. Like it's the same thing. This is why I think it's interesting when somebody says something to the effect of the Earth is flat, and I always seem to ask myself this question of why. Um, if we were to accept the earth is flat, what are we learning by acknowledging or accepting that to be the case? Like, what is meaningfully different about my life by saying, yes, this is the case? Or, but what is mostly, I believe, entertaining for people who do um, talk about this industry is not only just having a strong understanding of, like, um, just physics and just the earth, but it also is that idea of like having this forbidden knowledge or being on the on the fringe of what people understand and bringing this knowledge to the people, which is the enticing part of that. But the end goal is constantly convincing people to be the case. There's no like bigger goal than that. It's just this idea in of itself. So you know, it's really interesting to like think about it like that. Thank you. You 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 gave me a uh, Jimmy Neutron brain blast. I, I had in my whole Nickelodeon moment because of you. I appreciate your contribution. Hey, really quick, guys. I just want to inform both of you that the movie Oppenheimer has bombed in Japan. Hey, uh, yo. Hey, yo. This is about. This I hope it picks up its sales because it's a very good movie. Uh, what are you guys talking about? I'm talking about the movie sales, but <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Ernest. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I only thought about, just like a soul's bringing it up. But like, yeah, like it, it just, it, I don't know. To me, it makes sense, or like would make sense, like. Don't get me wrong. I think there's all kinds of things that we can attribute to, like being, uh, you know, not necessarily nefarious, but at least like monopolistic tendencies. Um, whether those need to be like ideological, I'm not entirely convinced, though. Right? Uh, that's why I think like you can see this in other other areas of the corporate sphere all the time, like multinationals that have, you know that have their fingers in like so many different pies like they can be in you know uh natural gas or oil extraction but like also into green energy and shit like yeah those like in some ways are ideologically in conflict but in other ways they're not because they will fucking make money right especially uh in this environment so i don't know i, I don't really see any reason to believe like why media empires should necessarily operate any differently um and that's just kind of where that thinking comes from but yeah i don't know if i did want to put my tinfoil hat on though um i think we could get into the flat earth stuff yeah why people believe those things um i mean i i have a lot of i have a lot of thoughts on you know 
conspiracies and conspiracy thinking in general, uh, like why that stuff exists and why it is enticing to people. I, I, I think you like, you know, you're, you're making this point, AG, like how many people that believe, eh, however many of them actually do believe in flat earth, like are taking any actual scientific approach rather than just asking those sort of um, gotcha questions that like the lay person can't answer. Uh, only someone with a scientific background would be able to. I don't know. I, I would imagine probably none or very few, if any. And if that is the case, then like that really just does that does bring the question to be like, okay, well, then like why do people find this sort of thinking enticing? Whether you're talking flat Earth or, I mean, really just any disavowal or denunciation of, uh, you know, some official institutional line be that like um i don't know it could be like an economic one it could be uh, just anti-status like whatever what drives people toward that thing i have a I have a question to ask uh, out the room um in terms we were um, talking about conspiracy theorists um just conspiracies um what was something that was like in your like adolescence something that was a uh, conspiracy theory that like you got yourself and really embroiled in like what was something that you seriously seriously find yourself entrenched in and then only to realize later on how um like definitely your perspective changed on it is there anything like that for y'all oh 9 11 for sure well you're very um, Bush did 9 11. Oh, yeah. No, I was absolutely pilled on 9 11 when I was when I was a kid. I was like, oh yeah, dead ass government did this. Um, got a little older, then kind of took the uh, you know the opposite view. The more like um, like oh, I've I've actually read the the debunking uh, by mechanics of these conspiracy theories, and I tell you, sir, you're incorrect. Um, and you know, I've also come, I guess, the pendulum has swung a little bit back around to where like. I maintain a healthy skepticism of people like upholding the um like the nine eleven commission reports or like you know government narrative as well. Uh I, I, I don't know, I, I essentially just it's a little boring, but I'm just kinda like, yeah. Government uh, has certainly been known to do extraordinarily shady things in the past. Um I think I was very it was very easily persuaded that, that was the case by not the greatest evidence, you know, when I was younger. But then, like, once, uh, you know, once I realized that that was all bullshit, I felt more confident in that original state line. Uh, but then, like, just getting a little bit older, you start reading more things about all the atrocities and uh, all, the du uh, all the duplicity that has been committed on behalf of, you know, the state or, you know, state-adjacent entities. And you become a little more skeptical of that again, right? So ultimately, I'm just like, yeah, this has been, there's a long history of this shit happening. Um, but you got to do more than just like, you know, pitch me a bunch of shit that just doesn't line up or like be like, hey, this is weird. Or even a number of things that are weird. You got to actually present something that is more compelling than just, uh, you know, coincidence. <laughs> uh 
kind of scared to shit mine. I'm waiting if I should or not. To me, my most unhinged theory I thought about was that the Illuminati um, and Drake's involvement of it was informed through the video over, which he's there's this rap song called I'm gonna make your eyes light up and I was my mind was blown my my brains were scrambled literally this is your brains on drugs moment occurred to me I was literally a PSA in that very moment um in that video the guy says oh Drake is sitting there thinking like a grown-up and then his eyes turn red what did you think that actually meant I'm like huh what did he actually meant and then he says um I know way more people that I knew um, who the fuck are y'all. He's like, you see, he has new people involved. And then they said, the serpent and the serpent and the king. I'm like, oh shit, the new people involved is the serpent. And it was like, these came like, what is you talking? What are you talking? Why, why did that? Why did any of that convince you? But the thing that I thought was hilarious is that like, the demonic nature of the album was proven. Because um, on the album, Thank Me Later, he says, oh, you know what he said? Oh, yeah, look, his eyes, they're all red. I'm like, oh, my God, his eyes are red. I'm like, <laughs> I had the most <laughs> And there was ever a moment to beat a child up, that would have been it. Like, what are you, why did any of this convince you? Jeez. <laughs> I was just taken back. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> he is sitting on the bed like a grown-up. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just funny to think about when you go, when you look back at some of the stuff, like, they, sometimes things can be reiterated. Like, the big life theory is so fascinating to some degree. And I heard this from a video called D Request, one of my favorite video, like, hip-hop uh, essayists who doesn't make content anymore. But he talked about the big life theory and how, like, repeating something long enough can come true or be felt like it though it's true. Um, and obviously, like, October's first and that whole thing about, like, Dark Hour and, like, Drake, you know, Illuminati, that, that didn't help out his case for me. But at the same time, um... Something like still beams is something that like was repeated often enough. But the amount of people who did that, did anyone ever check to like find out what does that even mean? That's yeah. Uh, there was, like... In like 2012, there was a group of like super respected engineers in the community, and they did like some MythBuster test on it, and they showed that it was a myth. Like what they were trying to proclaim that like you know the steel beams can't melt under that, but. Um, there's like other factors too in it, but this has been a while since I looked into that actually. But I just remember like someone actually has tried to attempt that before. I think a while ago I brought up an Ernest of Space, um, talking about that. Yeah, well, that was the thing that first like, got me where I was like, because I remember like seeing that point and you know, like, uh, you know, documentary voice, this guy's like, you know, that kerosene burns that, you know, like. 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, but the temperature required to melt steel beams would be well over 2000. And I'm sitting there just like, oh, oh smoke <laughs> gun. Oh, shoot, you're yeah. right, my guy. I got one more. I'm scared. As you're getting a little more context, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. Like, steel beams will not melt at 1500 degrees or whatever kerosene burns at. Um, but they will heat up, and their structural integrity will be about like forty percent of what they were before it heated up. And so it's like they yeah. don't have to melt; 
You don't have to exactly. melt fully, you know, to to collapse under the weight. And I was yeah, like, okay, exactly. Well, Thank you. Sense. I was supposed to say like, so it's not necessarily like the beams need to melt. It's just the weight. Like the whole thing about structural integrity is a thing because if if enough weight is gathered around an area, things are just going to collapse. That's why it's called a collapse. That's why they didn't say the building melt. You're like, okay, that, like right. we're, we're asking the wrong questions here. So. Yeah. It's one of those things where the questions is framed wrong. It's a bad frame framing of it, if you will. Well, I mean, it's a good framing because you know you put that question in people's minds, like you get them questioning it, like you don't get them actually inquiring into like, uh, well, what does it actually take for a building collapse? Uh, you know, it doesn't take the beams physically melting. It just takes them getting hot enough to where they're not nearly as strong as they were. Um, but yeah. Oh, it's just do you want to know something else? Like that. I want to tell you guys also something else that really um there was a conspiracy guy I used to listen to whose name was uh uh Dr. His name was not the Elijah or something like that. He was a Facebook doctor, you know. When I was in my 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 peak squeak era, I was listening to him relentlessly, you know. I was really into my enlightened uh you know, looking towards history for like black history and all that. But I think there was a moment in which this cat is a fucking menace and he just knocked some shit off of my fucking desk anyway i think the interesting thing that happens a lot for us is that sometimes even if we do believe in the conspiracy theorists or there's a person who's constantly giving us conspiracies they'll say something that you go okay you're just objectively wrong about this because this guy was talking about like you know egypt the creation of the pyramids um the origin of black people i'm like okay cool 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 and then he said like Obviously, the 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 um, ovulation cycle is completely a myth. It is only due to the lack of vegetation that a woman eats on a regular basis that the reason why they are they are menstruating so heavily. It is your body disposing of toxins. No woman throughout history has ever menstruated. I'm like, okay, I just feel like I don't even need to Google that. You're just wrong. Yeah, that's crazy. That's just wrong. Nah, me. All right, I don't want really quick. None of you guys make fun of me, and I hope this doesn't get us demonetized or anything. But a conspiracy theory I really believe in. I was younger, when I was, and I stopped when I was older. Have either of you heard of something called Cannibal Cafe? Does not ring a bell. All right, so it's yeah, it's it's a rabbit hole. So uh, there's. There was a gentleman, he was a German guy, his name was Armin Mice was his name, and there was a forum that's like, you know, meant for cannibals where it's a lot of like weird fantasy shit, stuff like that. He ended up posting out in there being like, hey, I want to cannibalize on someone basically consensually, and then that became a giant big moral ethical debate like, well, if he's doing it consensually, is this okay? But he ended up, when he was basically getting his pound of flesh from a guy, the guy died from blood loss, although, and there are letters back and forth, he said, like, yeah, you know, just take a chunk of flesh off me, I want to still live, type thing. Here's where it gets weird. When he goes into, like, investigation, like, you know, questioning, he basically is very calm, stoic, and, like, upfront about everything. He's like, yeah, I'm a cannibal, yeah, I do this and this, yeah, I do it consensually. He's like, yeah, before his fantasies, but now I'm actually want to try it. And then here's where it gets fucking weird. He does a slip up where he says, yeah, there are some cafes that allow me to do this. And the moment he said that, he starts 
panicking, saying, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said that. And on the interview, he's, like, freaking out, like, near breaking out of tears, like, I shouldn't have said that. And it's like, wow, you just confessed to, you know, a police officer, like, yeah, I cannibalize on human flesh with, like, it, you know, like, as a... It's equivalent to him being like, yeah, I go for jogs on Monday. Like, he just casually says it. But the moment he mentions uh, um, Cafe House, he freaks out. And then here's where it gets weirder. There's, like, a bunch of articles and links and stuff like that, like, rumored for a while that there's a place for, like, you know, where celebrities go to. And certain, like, distinct locations, like, you know, knock, knock, you need a secret password. Where they'll serve you. <laughs> yeah, they'll serve you a special dish, if you will, um, for your... Bacon, egg, and cheese croissant, you know, if a side of coffee like that, for some of the more, how they refer to it, lucrative of taste, is how they say it. And you think these words are, like, just random, but there was actually, like, this local coffee shop, I believe it was in, like, Japan, where under menus they'd put, you know, have our, you know, it's like, try now our exotic, like, fucking, like, dish we have served for you and shit like that. And... They referred to it like you know as a surprise mystery meat, like a little gamble thing, only for a bunch of patrons to come there and start eating it for them to become violently sick and puke everywhere. Later, they had the Japanese version of a health inspector come in, and the whole store had to shut down. And to this day, they didn't give a reason for why it was shut down. They only said tainted meat was the reason. And then that, like to me as a little kid, made me freak out. I was thinking. Every Starbucks around the corner, their symbol of the siren is like a demon, something like that, you know? All these things like that, like, there's, like, some big cover-up that nobody knows but me of, like, all these, like, cannibal forums where people are out here, you know, doing these things and, like, basically using it as an initiation to get into a club of, like, more prestige, richer, wealthier, higher-up people who are like, yeah, I'm just so bored of money, I want to try everything, why not try eating human flesh as, like, served at a professional level? And to me, that was my big thing, and obviously, I stopped believing it because I grew up, basically. Like, I don't have to explain it in any different way, and, like, I don't think random people are just eating flesh because they're bored, but that was something that had me freaked out for the longest time in my life. Why did you have to use the phrase tainted meat? My brain immediately went to Walking Dead. <laughs> like, y'all eat tainted meat. Well, I just got that. tainted meat. No, I just see that episode recently, too. That shit was hilarious. He's like, you're some dumb You're like, you some dumb idiots. And then he reviews, like, pulls his shirt back and you see a huge, like, chunk. He's like, I'm tainted meat. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> But, he yeah. He's like, y'all eating tainted meat. <laughs> no, the, when the guy from Everybody Hates Chris showed up in the show, that threw me in for a wrench. I'm like, oh, I know you. I was like, where have I seen this guy before? I'm like, oh, he's from Everybody Hates Chris. The Not the guy who died. Yeah, not the dude who was eaten, but the other dude who shows up later, their black guy. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, but that was my creepy conspiracy, if you guys, yeah. <laughs> Any question, comments, concerns? No, like, wait. This is an easy one that you could have debunked even as a child. You've just been like, okay, I need to know the prices of, um, you know, the human meat omelet. Because, like, if it's just regular price, like, no, I'm not buying that. Like, if if this thing isn't, like, at least, I don't know, 50 times more expensive, it just makes no sense why it would be human fluff. Because, like, aren't they taking a tremendous risk in serving it? And so you'd only have it available to the people who are, like, already in the know would get it like i don't know well, that's, that's the thing that's, a, that's, that's, 
that's the thing. Here's the thing that I find to be so interesting about like conspiracy theories at the same time. When it comes to conspiracy theories, it's like the symbolism is all there. At the same time, all evidence of a conspiracy theory is also simultaneously speaking evidence of possible deniability. That's like the always the thing that they go with. Like almost every evidence, like if if you ever believed in any sort of conspiracy, like the, even the conspiracy theory I believed in, it's like oh Drake is showing you that he's part of Illuminati because he chose the owl, and it's like oh shoot that's true, owls in the dark hour, oh shoot. But at the same time, you could just ask yourself like what if he just likes owls? <laughs> what what if he just likes it? Like, like, <laughs> but oh man, what if you've been a kid like? Um, at that same age, like during all that Travis Scott Astro World shit, like last year, you've been fucking wilding out. Just <laughs> my mind would have melted. Yeah, I was like, I saw one. I was like, Astro World is like a, basically a sacrifice to like Ball and Satan, and that's why the stampede was like organized and planned. Like you need sacrifices for like the Dark Lord. And I'm like, what the fuck? Just looking at that. The reason why I have skits, like, it's partially a joke. Um, now I do it f- just for joking, facetious reasons. But, like, schizo SES is, like, actually, like, a callback to, like, some of the things I used to write about artists back in the day and just things of that nature. Like, it, it was, like, like, not in terms of, like, my leftist political Twitter account, but it's in terms of just, like, if I was like, a, like if I was younger while the Travis Scott stuff happened, I would be like, oh, don't you guys understand? He had a song called No Bystanders. What do you think that meant? Obviously, at the Asher world, he's sending them to another world, and he's talking about the party never ends. He's talking about the end of your life, the afterlife. Then it's like he was like, oh, "Bro, no, no, don't give me fuck up like that now. It's, it's too late. I want to fuck." Well, what's it called? Um, let me pose you guys an interesting question. Now, let's do the reverse. Is there anything before you thought, like, oh, there's this no way people conspiracy theory about this? It's like undeniable. And then now you're like, wait a minute, I think people are on to something. Like, do you guys have a flip thing where something you like adamantly hated against? But then now you're like, oh, fuck. Like, just think. Oh, dude, I have so many. Um, I mean, for starters, I would say JFK. Like, that's one where I was definitely just like, yep, we, Harvey Oswald, acted alone. There's no reason. To believe otherwise, uh, and then again, low key getting more inf- with, more information, you're like, oh, oh low key, you, you kind of spit in on that one when he no, he literally would have it would have required him to break a world record by like fucking meters, like over like thirty meters for him to land that headshot from the position he was at. There's no way. There's just no way. I'm like, all right, sure. Like, there's he's not like you know American sniper over here. It's just. Not impossible, like what they were describing. I agree. Like Lee Harvey Oswald, I don't think he killed him. <laughs> even even accepting Lee Harvey Oswald, I was just like, there was a lot of hmm moments. Like your 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 face just stretches out and contorts in some sort of medic edit of itself when the guy says, "I'm a patsy," and gets gunned down immediately afterwards. You go hmm, <laughs> very worst circumstances <laughs> indeed. It really activates your almonds, you know. It really makes you go, okay, that's kind of uh, that's kind of weird. That's it's hard to just take the face value of, of what's going on there. So, uh, in terms of uh, is there any other conspiracy theories that I think about like Carsley that I was like, hmm, 
I, I didn't initially uh, get the highlight of them. No, that's really really it for me. Um, in terms of like, conspiracy theories, I, I I really wasn't big on that. I was really in the trenches for like a, a majority of like conspiracy theories against like like the celebrities and the higher ups and the the funniest. I, I I'm glad I never got close to the whole slanted look cock shame you know those pictures with with the super analyzing so much that? that's like looks maxing and shit like that right <laughs> yes the, what does it even mean what does looks maxing mean what i don't get what these guys are talking about my I'm favorite like, Dude, one just, yeah fuck it just don't be ugly i don't know what to say like but it's just the idea like there's a psychology to someone's pose like like oh feeble man slant <laughs> <laughs> a beta male look then no matter what picture they'll just point to the genitalia and be like cock shave i'm like no i'll look at something like you know the virgin and the chad meme comparison i'm like oh funny meme and i'll see another guy be like holy shit this is my entire life in this one image i'm like bro what I was like, yeah, don't you see? This is like everything in society. I'm like, yo, man, it's not that deep. It's just a fucking meme. And he's like, no, I need to start looks maxing now. I'm like, uh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm confused. You lost me. Yo, um, have you guys ever, you know what really melts my brain in terms of like just content online? I'll never understand it. Just any Sigma male content. And anytime it happens, Anytime it pops up in my like account, I just exterminate with extreme prejudice. I block the channel and everything. Funny as fuck. It is the most nebulous concept. <laughs> it is the most nebulous concept. It's like when you look at the rules for what it means or what it takes to be a Sigma male, it's everything and anything. So it's like <laughs> it's just so vague of a concept. It literally is. It's the most vaguest of things. You like, like oh. Sigma males are very social and can be around anybody, but they prefer not to, so they're antisocial. But if they were to do so, they would be the top of the social hierarchy. Okay, cool. I'm at the top of the social hierarchy because I delude myself into thinking as much. It's like you can be the greatest human being in existence without actively doing anything. It's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like. The... Yeah. Any of this shit, like, it doesn't even matter, but, I mean, Sigma's probably the worst offender, but, like, it's just a fucking horoscope, it's just, like, I can read, uh, my own personality into this, but, like, more than that, like, I can, one of the most cringe, like, things that you can do, I think, is, like, try to look at characters from movies, and not only be, like, um, it's me for real, but like, you know, say like, oh, this is the ultimate like Sigma mindset or the ultimate like alpha mindset. It's just like, <sighs> you're missing the point, man. It's a fucking movie. Like, please just like, you don't even have to touch grass, but just touch anything. Like, that's in the physical realm because this is not fucking it at all. And you need to get the fuck offline right now. I would say go touch a woman. You'd probably end up in fucking jail for that. For guys who are like that out of the world, <laughs> yeah, literally do anything but touch a woman. Um, do not do that. Like you, you need to work up to that, man. Walk, walk before you run. <laughs> no, but jokes aside. Speaking of which, wait, speaking of which, I want your opinion on all this. Uh, just wanted up? to just 
ask you this, you know, since we never really touch on the nuclear bomb topic, I thought um, bringing forth the most mega mind, the, the intellectual level of galaxy level, he's like next to Mr. Pixelittle in terms of like his IQ level. So I, I thought it was important to bring him forth in terms of this discourse. Uh, and you recently saw the movie. So, you know, you're hyper like energized to, to oh discuss the subject matter. I thought I'd get your opinion on this tweet that I'm about to read out to you. So let, let, let's chat it up a little bit. He says, amazing coincidence that the nuclear bombs were invented during only war to ever definitely 100% require nuclear bombs to be dropped to end it. And we never needed to use them before or since. Inside a month from testing to a single use require. What luck? What do you think about that? Funny enough, uh, saying that nuclear bombs don't exist. Yeah, I know it's that guy. It's the no bombs never existed theory, which is like that's true. Explain fucking Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You're telling me like nearly half a million people just disappeared. Like I don't know. Then he says the following. Somebody responds to him by saying this. Yes, they were needed. It was the only way to bring. Japan to an unconditional surrender, and that was the only way for the war should have ended. Not a conditional surrender, but a complete, unequivocal, unconditional surrender. And then the other person that made the OP responds with the following. It didn't do that, though, so I guess they failed. I just, I can't fix stupidity, man. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just the most, I can't help you. I don't know where I'm just, at right now. I can't, I can't help you. That is, you know, that is the second most baffling take I've ever seen on social media regarding Oppenheimer and, like, the nuclear bomb. Definitely second. This is, this is a classic moment of, like, complete delusion um, butting up against, like, a little bit less delusion, right? So like you get this first guy and you know simply just be you know uh, they don't exist and who knows like I'm always skeptical of this sort of discourse because it's like you know, like same with like a lot of flat Earth people it's like do you genuinely believe this or like are you are you just like um, are you just going for like clicks or whatever or replies or you just memeing you just trolling anything um, but like let's assume he's genuine like. The person responding to them, it's it's equally as absurd, right? Because they they're just parroting the same thing that we've heard before that every single one of us read in our history textbooks, you know, as kids. This was the most efficient, uh, optimal way to end the war: unconditional surrender by dropping the nukes. We didn't want to do it, but our hand was forced essentially. And it's like, well, we know that's not true. Like, in fact, our own. Uh, it wasn't the Air Force because I don't think they had the Air Force at the time, right? Uh, but it was, you know, the U.S. Uh, strategic bombing, sur bombing survey in 1946, you know, assessing all of the damage that had been done, you know, uh, on Japan, like uh, the tactical and strategic assessments, and being like, uh, yeah, actually, these bombs were unnecessary. We did not have to drop them. We could have continued just. Um, you know, regular uh, bombing runs with, you know, non-nuclear bombs, uh, and we probably would have achieved, like, the same result without, you know, like, the massive land invasion that, uh, you know, people always point to 
when they say all of the lives that were saved. And so it's just like, yeah, it was not, it was not like a one or the other. It didn't have to do either a massive invasion that would have killed, uh, you know, or, you know, ended the lives of uh, however many U.S. soldiers. It, it was not a, a simple question of either or. And the fact that people don't even know that and they're just, you know, fed this one singular line, I think is an issue. They're giving this weird ultimatum that's void from reality that there's only, you know, we do this or this, which is like, I don't know if that's like people just trying to cover up for like, hey, there was more options. We just want to like do this or not, but definitely, no, I 100% watch Oppenheimer. I think that's Christopher Nolan's greatest movie ever, even better than Dark Knight Rises. It was just insane. Like, I've rarely could you'd really hear me say this, but that was a movie with a finale that brought me to tears. It was that well done of like a historical drama, but it's definitely just a lot of it. People, I walked in thinking the movie's just gonna be like, oh yeah, dropping an atomic bomb, but majority of it was like asking the question of like scientists being like, what should we do it just because we could, should we? Should we help, you know, United States? There's, like, a lot of morality in there. There's even Einstein weighing his opinion on some things because he take walks of Oppenheimer privately. It was just very deep and, like, complex on that. And it just... There was such a fucking brutal scene after the bombing. Um, Oppenheimer is able to meet President Truman. And Truman, at first, has this very war pig-esque demeanor where he's like, yeah, we really took care of those Japs. Good job. And you just have Oppenheimer sitting there quietly, and he basically says to him, I have blood on my hands. And Truman's response was taking a handkerchief out of his um, blazer, like, you know, jacket, and throwing it at Oppenheimer and saying, you don't have blood on my hands, I dropped the bomb, not you. And then he gets Oppenheimer to leave, and then while he's leaving, he tells, like, you hear him say, I don't ever want to see that weak crybaby in my presence again. People who don't know that Oppenheimer... Yep, that was a real change that happened. It's 100% true. It's not dramatized at all. No, that's what I love about the movie so much. Like, a lot of it is down to the T. These things did happen. Like, there's quotes in it. Like, these are things Oppenheimer said. These are things, you know, these individuals said. And when I say, like, it's a historical drama, I'm not saying, like, you know, it's, like, void from loosely based on true story. It's very to the T detail. Christopher Nolan does an extremely well job on that, but... Yeah, 100% encourage people to check it out. It's just, it's very gut-wrenching watching that movie. It's not what you'd expect. It's not just about the atomic bomb. It's a lot more than that. So the real question becomes, though, if we didn't drop the bombs on them because it was the only thing, the only option we had to end the war in the way that we did, uh, then why did we drop them? Can you repeat that? Sorry. If the reason was not, uh, you know, for the quick, unconditional surrender of uh, the Empire of Japan, then what was the reason that we did? I have no idea what that. Oh, I got means. this. Oh, but I, 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 I just like what you said, Solus. I'm gonna let you speak, but I thought it was interesting that you brought up very much that someone could give a convincing argument when you set up such weak confines. It's like, ah, yes, because we 100% absolutely needed them. It's like, well, that again is probably the part that people would consider to be debatable. 
but also when you say that um never used them before or since that that would kind of go against the creation of something like if something was to shoot somebody with like a gun are we arguing that it no longer exists i don't know what that even means but like does a gun no longer exist because the first time i ever use one is in that one particular moment of self-defense and never use it again did it can we now question the existence of that gun it, it doesn't exactly make any sense <laughs> but it's not, we're not talking a gun we're talking about a weapon that could bring global annihilation I get that. Never, I'm just saying, like, if we, if we were to compare, rules, you know. No, I'm just saying, like, if we could, we compare, like, if, if we're drawing an analog here, like, okay, like, hey, like, does that make much sense for us to make that like argument? Like, um, I don't know. It'd be a difficult argument to make, and that's a topic they bring up in the movie. But I'm not going to go heavy in spoilers or anything. But like, start a movie was just showing like oppenheimer coming up to be who he was like a scientist middle portion was the government coming to them being like hey we got this sweet gig called manhattan project you on and all the scientists are hyped up thinking like yeah we're gonna make this big thing for you know america we're gonna like destroy our enemies we're gonna do they're like really hyped like you know we're gonna be the big face of like with science and stuff and then the final act was like post bomb it was them like realizing the consequences of their action type thing but before that, there was like scientists like leading up, like, "Hey, should we do this?" But a very brutal, gut wrenching scene because you, as the audience, you're like following them, you're kind of agreeing. I'm like, "Yeah, let's bomb these people, let's get them, let's win the war." And then there's a scene where he goes into like an auditorium where there's a crowd full of people, and he's kind of just delusional out of it because he just got word that you know there was a bomb dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He's sitting on a podium, and then there's uh, waves of people, and they're all clapping, cheering, chanting. It's almost like they want more, more, more. Just, like, grotesque and, like, gluttonous and, like, violence, if that's the best way to describe it. And he's just sitting there out of it, and gradually the scene just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And he's saying, like, yeah, we did it, guys. We did it. America won. And then out of nowhere, the bright just becomes so unbearable until it's just all you hear is like background noise and you see the entire audience their skin begins to melt and peel and like drop off and then he's alone in a room a giant auditorium by himself with just nothing but literally the sins on his hand like the consequences of his hand on his head like this is on me i dropped the bomb i did this and that having that scene right before the truman scene was so impactful because it showed you the movie did such a phenomenal job of showing you the absolute weight that he had to bear and carry that. Like, I know people make memes online saying things like, oh, I'm Oppenheimer, I'm going to make a bomb. Oh no, I'm so sad I made a bomb and killed people. It's a lot deeper than that. And it's just, it's especially with him being, you know, Jewish and coming to America, and that was something that pushed him into the Manhattan Project. It's just like, I don't know, it's just such an interesting thing right now, but... Sorry, guys, I'm not trying to get into spoilers. That was just, like, light thing I had to touch on. It wasn't heavy spoilers. Yeah, but, yeah, my bad if I was going in too deep in territory. It's interesting, like, because the thing that, like, yeah, like, yeah, that conversation with Truman did happen, right? Um, but the thing that, like, ultimately does get Oppenheimer ostracized um, uh, from that commission and being part of nuclear weapons development is his opposition to 
you know, thermonuclear weapons uh, and the development of the hydrogen bomb, right? So it's like even a few years after that, it's it's not until he really starts to voice, uh, you know, his uh, extreme like disavowal of you know developing thermonuclear technology and weapons that he just like pushed to the side. Um, which not only that, but his communist past too, because he had a lot of communist affiliation. And after <sighs> World War II, the McCarthy era, they used that to like basically, you know, use him as a scapegoat to make him shut up, if you will. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like the real question you should ask yourself here is like, uh, this, is this a chicken or the egg situation? Like, which one came first? Like, the fact that he was very convenient to discard uh, once he starts saying all these things. And then you can just fucking, you know, you can red bait and fucking, you know, castigate him as a communist, or was it the fact that he actually was, and that's where they're concerned for? No, that's fucking bullshit. I mean, if that were the case, they never would have had him anywhere near these development projects to begin with. It no, of course, I 100% agree with you. It was just a witch hunt to make him shut up, because the United States government openly admitted they knew he had communist sympathies and affiliations, before getting him on the Manhattan Project, but they saw him as being such a valuable asset, they needed him. And the moment he served his purpose and use, they basically threw him away because he wasn't willing to play Game of the War Pigs because after the atomic bombing, they're like, okay, what's the next big bomb? Are we doing this Hydra thing next? And then he advocated against it, so like, oh, so you're not going to help us. Yeah, we're going to throw you away now. And they tried stripping him of all credibility just because... Of like something of in his past that it's like, hey, you were okay with it then, but magically you are now. But I don't know, it's just something interesting to think about. Yeah, and I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline in this, but I'm pretty sure that's like that's several years after the war is already over that they start like seriously yep. developing that technology, and he starts voicing his opposition. So it's like, if you really did have concerns about like his communist affiliation, then you would have been voicing that like not necessarily. At the beginning of the Manhattan Project, because, like, I mean, at the time, you're sensibly aligned with, uh, you know, the communist USSR anyway. So it's like, okay, whatever. Like, that's not as big of a deal. But once the, you know, once the war is over, like, obviously, there's an immediate pivot, uh, you know, towards antagonism with the USSR. So that would have been the moment, you know, to do it. But it's like, no, he's obviously still quite useful. He's a, you know, brilliant physicist and you know, like, he can provide all this value, and of course he does, um, up until that moment where he's like, uh, wait, no, hold on, like, the yields of, like, a hydrogen bomb, thermonuclear weapons, is going to be, like, you know, uh, a thousand times greater, like, several orders of magnitude, um, you know, than these fission weapons, so I don't think we should do them. They're like, get the Not only that, but it was proven after the McCarthy era. Well, no, it was proven during the McCarthy era, the thing that kickstarted it. One of the members of the Manhattan Project, a foreigner they brought, I believe he was a German guy who was Jewish that Hitler basically excommunicated. Well, Hitler's trying to kill. So he goes to the UK, and the UK brings him to America, but he ended up being a spy and donated a lot of the research they're doing to the USSR because the earlier project they were debating, you know, should we make the atomic bomb or should we do the hydrogen bomb? And they scrapped the research after the hydrogen bomb, but it was still research. And then within the next three months, they're like, huh, what a weird coincidence. The USSR is currently making this thing called a hydrogen bomb. 
And they're like, well, who told them? Because we're the only people on the planet that knows this research. But it was that. But even still, none of that was proved. They proven none of that had to do with, you know, Oppenheimer. And like you said, I was just trying to slander him and get him out of spotlight, if you will. But And they certainly did. Um, you know, it's wild when you see, like, the lengths that people will go to. I mean, Einstein was, like, not similarly discredited, but like almost similarly, right? Um, and and a lot of it is because he had similar oppositions, but just to the original development of you know uh, nuclear weapons to begin with. And yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like when you think about like what it actually means to go up against like the war machine, but like from an ideological perspective, as someone who would be critical in developing like the most deadly weapons ever created by man. Great. Just yeah, I, I I don't want like I said I don't want to spoil much, but please, anyone listening to this for the love of God, please go watch the Oppenheimer movie. It is the one of the best movies ever, especially for the history buffs listening. Um, very enjoyable. Um, but I think. Go ahead, Ernest. Nothing. I was just gonna say, yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily planning on seeing it, but yeah, I think uh, after hearing you, after hearing you describe like how good it is, I think uh, I might go take a peek. Nice. Yeah, definitely not gonna be watching Barbie on Monday the twenty fourth, yeah, this is at uh specifically eight PM, so don't worry about that. I'm totally not gonna be doing that also. Um yeah. <laughs> I think honestly that should wrap out just about everything. Do we have any closing things, Hazy, you wanna bring us out with? Nah, this has been an excellent conversation. I've been Hazy Daleks and you've seen this all in HD. Honestly, yeah, one of our best podcast episodes so far. I'd say, yeah, Ernest, you're more than welcome to come back. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here and happy to come back anytime. Uh, really quick before we go, Ernest, is there any social media platforms you want people to check you out at? Anything outside of anything? Do not look for me. Do not follow me. Do not acknowledge my presence. Uh, <laughs> I respect He's, it. I respect said, it. If you see me in public, pretend like you didn't. <laughs> you yeah, said, I, like, you didn't. I am just merely a hallucination. But yeah, well, guys, you've been tuning in to Requiem Radio. You can find us on Spotify and soon to be the Apple Store. So thank you very much for listening. Have a good rest of your night. Banger. Man's really shouted himself out by saying, Leave me alone. <laughs> I respect it. He was saying, I wish we would have talked about the new.